Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, today we have the latest irony, tragic irony, that uh, does not help us feel safer in this time of terror. Um, besides the radical Islamic terrorists, we, or before them, I should say, we had um, regular uh, garden variety terrorists, such as Charles Whitman. You may remember he was the 1966 shooter, sniper, who went up to the top of the uh, clock tower at the University of Texas and um, killed more than four, or shot down, gunned down more than 40 people, which made him sort of the uh, prototype for future um, school shooters and mass shooters uh, in various places, not just schools. Well, today is the anniversary, August 1st, 1966, the 50th anniversary of this event. And what is happening at the University of Texas? All of this is to tell you <laughs> so that you can understand why we need to oppose uh, campus carry laws and why guns don't belong in school. Now, you would think that that's sort of obvious that guns don't belong in school. Well, not to the University of Texas nor to um, other states like Colorado, Utah, Idaho, and five other states where they have passed these campus carry laws, meaning that um, people are allowed to carry concealed firearms in university buildings. What? <laughs> this is, you know, an end. <laughs> and what makes it worse, I mean, that, that's bad enough. Obviously, there should not be guns at uh, in college campuses, and I'll certainly run down all the reasons why. Um, but at the University of Texas, on this very day, the 50th anniversary, where they are commemorating the tragedy by dedicating a six-foot-tall red granite marker that's inscribed with the victims' names and having a ceremony to remember them, this very same day, they are having um, a, they are enacting this law. They are allowing people to start on this day to carry concealed firearms. The very tragedy that they're mourning, they are now encouraging to happen again. And this is at college, right? Like you would think they were they would be smart enough to not do that. Well, <laughs> apparently um, they are not, even though, you know, it's interesting because most of the professors and students um, on the campus, and in general, there have been surveys of professors and students, and most do not want uh, to there to be this law permitting concealed weapons on their campus, which of course makes, you know, a lot of sense. Why would you want to have, um, why would you want to, have less protection? Why would you want to feel less safe? I mean, not only are there people who are mentally ill, like Charles Whitman, and he has quite an interesting uh, psychiatric history. I wish that I could have had him on my couch. Um, he's like a psychiatrist's dream for all of the different craziness that was going on in his mind when he climbed the tower and killed all these people. 
But in addition to people who are mentally unbalanced and uh, who managed to get into college, um, of, of which there are more these days because of all the stress that everyone is going through. Um, but in, so in addition to people, you know, who work at the colleges, who study at the colleges, of course, also there are uh, terrorists who <laughs> will now find it a lot easier to conceal weapons and go to college campuses. I mean, this is just insane. Um, let me, you know, obviously some of the reasons why it's not good to have guns on campuses is be primarily because you're, you're less safe the more guns that surround you. Second of all, college campuses, that's the hope of our country. That's where people are supposed to be encouraged to um, have time to sit under a tree and, and think creatively and study and, and uh, become the inventors of the future and so on, the leading minds of the future. And um, how are you supposed to think when you know that the person sitting next to you, I mean, can you imagine that? Like, think about that, sitting in class and not knowing whether the person next to you is carrying a gun. Um, you know, maybe you lean over to ask to borrow a pencil and they think you're getting too close or something and they shoot you. Not to mention the, uh, you know, even before these laws, um, certainly you, you know the headlines of uh, people, students, who have come to high school or even sometimes middle school uh, or colleges and they have shot teachers, they're angry that they got a bad grade or they project onto the teacher uh, their angry feelings towards their parents. I, I mean, you know, what is this saying? And what about the little kids? You know, this is these are laws now that people can carry guns on college campuses. Okay, what about, are there going to be laws letting people carry guns on high school campuses, middle school? What about elementary school? Can you imagine the little kids, 10-year-old kids saying to his parent, Mommy, can you buy me a gun? I want to bring a gun to school. I mean, we've already had instances where kids have kind of gotten into trouble, been suspended for carrying toy guns to school. And of course, we know about all the kids who have gotten shot by police because they were carrying a, a toy gun and the police mistook it for a real gun. So now we're going to have kids saying, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy, um, you know, my older brother or sister is carrying a gun to school, why can't I carry a gun? And, you know, a real gun, a BB gun, a toy gun, whatever. I mean, look at the, look at the uh, lesson that this is teaching kids of all ages. It's just outrageous and ridiculous. Um, the only people who should be having guns at any school, from elementary schools to colleges, are security guards. If there's a, a greater concern of um, violence on college campuses or any kind of school campus, then fine. Um, get more security guards. Let them carry guns. I actually was kind of against uh, security guards carrying guns. But I mean, when you face with the alternative of letting other people, not security guards, carry guns, I think we should at least let the security guards carry guns um, rather than, than students or anybody else. Um, you know, it's, it's conveying the message that, that at these places of learning, that we need to learn to arm ourselves. And yes, down the road, I mean, yes, that might well be something, um, uh, that becomes more, 
prevalent and more necessary, hopefully not, but certainly not on school campuses. Um, you know, then we have where this, it's, it's just when you look at where this is going to end at, at elementary schools, you see that it's even more outrageous. Well, let's um, look at, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I must be one of these crazy anti-gun people. Um, and that is not true at all because, um, I mean, I do believe that little kids shouldn't be given toy guns because, or BB guns, guns of any kind, because that is encouraging them to, um, to think about carrying guns when they grow up. But, um, but I'm certainly very much in favor of protecting the Second Amendment uh, we, and our rights to bear arms. That is, I think that that's never been more important than today to allow that to happen. But, um, but you know, that's a very different story than allowing people to carry guns at school. Uh, we're, you know, we're not talking... The right to bear arms doesn't mean on college campuses or middle school or any of that. It's a different, uh, that was conceived of in certainly a different way. Um, let's talk about, about Charles Whitman because he is such an interesting guy and because uh, some, of the, some of the lessons that we can learn from, um, from mass shooters who are not terrorists apply to terrorists and these are, this there's a pattern here and the pattern is that um the children and you'll see this with charles whitman people who grow up to be mass shooters whether you know mass school shooters or terrorists have some things in common we've been seeing this if you think about the terrorists that have been in the news recently we've been seeing these patterns um come to light. So there's the the childhood, of course, a really traumatic childhood, a childhood of abuse and or neglect, a childhood of where the person wants to get attention. Um, the uh, a dysfunctional home, um, oftentimes divorce of the parents, and other kinds of, you know, sometimes substance abuse of the parents, various things in the childhood home that, um, that cause the child to grow up with anger. And then there is a desire for revenge. Now, when it's the um, school shooter, like Charles Whitman, I'll tell you about what caused him to want revenge. But then, of course, the Islamic terrorists, um, they, they, uh, they use Islam as their uh, reason, as their excuse for taking out their anger and their revenge uh, on non-believers. So let's look at good old Charles Whitman. He was 25 years old when he climbed the uh, tower at the University of Texas. And he um, was an engineering student and uh, he had a very traumatic childhood. His father had been um, raised in an orphanage. And we can only imagine how that was, uh, what kind of childhood that was. 
and he was um, very abusive. He, the father, uh, perpetrated domestic violence towards towards uh, Charles' mother, and also was physically violent towards Charles if he wasn't perfect. And um, he was also emotionally abusive to his wife and his children. Now Charles was a really bright guy. His, I mean, you know. <laughs> Uh, despite his poor judgment to climb the clock tower, he, he had an IQ that was supposedly 139. And um, he, uh, his father taught him how to use firearms from an early age. He grew up in Florida and uh, he went hunting. And his father used to boast, Charlie could plug the eye out of a squirrel by the time he was 16. And Charles, not only was he, did he have a high IQ, but he joined the Boy Scouts at the age of 11. And um, at the age of 12, he became an Eagle, Eagle Scout. He had accumulated 21 merit badges and became an Eagle Scout, which made him at the time the youngest person in the world ever to become an Eagle Scout. Then when he was 16, he had some health problems. He was hospitalized following a motorcycle accident. He was hospitalized for surgery to remove a blood clot, which had formed around his left testicle. Now, obviously, uh, there are all kinds of psychological implications to that. Was he embarrassed? Did he feel less of a man? Did he feel inadequate? Did it have any impact on his sexual functioning? Um, and so then finally, uh, when he was, um, after, after high school, after he was graduated from high school, his father beat him and threw him into the family swimming pool, which caused him to almost drown because he had come home drunk after a party. And that uh, made Charles decide to join the Marines. He didn't tell his father he was joining the Marines until after he was already in the, in the Marines. And then he applied for a scholarship. You know, he did well in the museum. <laughs> he did well in the Marines. And um, he enrolled at the University of Texas at Austin uh, in mechanical engineering. And he didn't do very well as a student, so much so, that even though he had you know, been very bright before and had this bright IQ, but he didn't do very well. He probably was uh, too busy poaching deer. He actually butchered a deer in the shower in, the, in his dormitory, and he got arrested. Um, and... Uh, and so he eventually lost his scholarship um, and he got married. He uh, got married uh, when he was 20 and on the date, they chose the date, which was the 22nd wedding anniversary of his parents, uh, which is kind of an interesting choice considering that his parents, um, you know, had a very awful marriage. His, his father was, um, was a perpetrator of domestic violence. Anyway, then uh, even though his grades had improved, he still lost his scholarship and he was ordered back to active duty. And he resented this. This was the part here. So he has this horrible childhood, um, abused and so on. And um, he, he joins Marines, he does well, but then he loses his scholarship. And that's where the anger and that's where his choice of targets, the University of Texas, <laughs> came from. Um, and so, so he, he enrolled after he got out of the Marines, he enrolled, um, 
in the uh, in school on his own. He went back to school, and um, he was he was doing okay. And uh, also in the Marines, he got demoted before he went. While he when he went back to the Marines, before he went before he left, he was demoted because they found that he was gambling and uh, and he also he had possession of a, of a personal firearm. So he was demoted. That also made him angry. So then he started going back. He went back to school. He was honorably discharged and went back to school in the architectural engineering program. He worked to put himself through school and to pay, you know, for his family, his wife, and so on. And um, he told, uh, he, he started um, striking his wife. He told his friends that he had uh, hit his wife on two occasions. And he said that he was mortally afraid of being like his father, being abusive to his wife like his father. And around this time, his mother left his father. And she moved from Florida to Texas. Uh, to near where Charles was. And um, soon after that, uh, actually that was in May 1966, and remember August 1st, 1966 was when he went on this school rampage. And so the, that morning he wrote a suicide note and he killed his mother and his wife um, by stabbing them through the heart. Now he said he wrote... Um, in his note, his suicide note, I imagine it appears that I brutally killed both of my loved ones. I was only trying to do a quick, thorough job. Really. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a very personal, very rageful way of killing someone, stabbing them through the heart. It's almost like, you know, you read about that in fairy tales. Um, well, this was no fairy tale. After he killed his mother and his wife, he then went to the campus and um, oh, he asked. By the way, in his in his suicide note, he asked. Um, he said, "If my life insurance policy is valid, please pay off my debts. I donate the rest anonymously to a mental health foundation. Maybe research can prevent further tragedies of this type." Which is really very interesting, especially with what the autopsy showed, as I will tell you in a minute. Um, so he went up to the tower. He rented a truck. Uh, he bought guns and ammunition. He brought with him food, coffee, vitamins, dexedrine. Interesting, you know, that he had started taking dexedrine because that also, depending upon how much he took, although not a lot, was there was not a significant amount in the toxicology tests that were done on him afterwards. But anyway, you know, that can make people uh, high and do irrational things, especially if they have an underlying mental illness as well. He took Excedrin, earplugs, jugs of water, matches, lighter fluid, rope, binoculars, a machete, three knives, a transistor radio, toilet paper. Uh, he was wanted to make sure he was prepared for anything. A razor and a bottle of deodorant. Now that's kind of, Now those are very odd things to take. I mean, first of all, they do show that he was planning on being up there for a long time. But and he started at 11.35 in the morning. He was up there for about an hour and a half until he was shot dead. Um, he used false identification as a research assistant to gain access to the clock tower. He said he was delivering things, which was just like what the man in France did, saying that he was delivering ice cream. Um, when, when Charles was, uh, when, when an autopsy was done on him, um, 
they found a tumor in his brain. Now, they weren't uh, able to conclusively, to come to the conclusion that there was the relationship, that it was this tumor that caused him to, um, to do this mass shooting. Um, it, to this day, we can't be sure, really. They could have certainly contributed to it, but there were other things that we don't really need the tumor to be the explanation. Um, certainly, uh, just his childhood and, and the resentment and so on that I've talked about would be enough. Um, especially, you know, then with his mother leaving his father and his being afraid that he was going to do the same to his wife, to become violent to his wife, would also make him be afraid that she, his wife, would leave him down the road um, because of his domestic violence, just like his mother had left his father. So there's like a multitude of psychological reasons for why he did what he did. Now, what's interesting is that he had visited several university doctors in the year prior to the shootings. He had been prescribed various medications. Um, he had seen at least five doctors between the fall and winter of 1965 before he visited a psychiatrist who didn't give him any prescriptions. Great. Um, you know, this is one of the things that drives me crazy, uh, hearing that these people, whether they're terrorists or mass shooters, other kinds of mass shooters or mass killers, um, it's just when they have been, so many of them have actually been to see a psychiatrist, and yet they didn't get the help that they need. You know, we saw that with the French trucker, for example. We saw that with the, um, the, the French church attacker, the man who attacked the priest, cut the throat of the priest. He, too, had been in psychiatric treatment before. Now, you know, obviously this shows uh, a lack, <laughs> a deficiency in the kinds of treatment that these people got. Um, and this psychiatrist wrote, uh, who saw um, Charles Whitman, wrote, uh, this massive muscular youth seemed to be oozing with hostility, duh, he got that right, that something seemed to be happening to him and that he didn't seem to be himself. <laughs> very good. He readily admits having overwhelming periods of hostility with a very minimum of provocation. Uh, and then he also says, vivid reference to thinking about going up on the tower, um, re repeated inquiries, attempting to analyze his exact experiences were not too successful, with the exception of his vivid reference to thinking about going up on the tower with a deer rifle and start shooting people. Here, this guy, Charles Whitman, told his shrink that he was having fantasies of doing that. Now, who does that remind you of the Batman killer who told his shrink, Dr. Lynn Fenton, um, that he had fantasies of killing people. And yet uh, she, she did very little, certainly not enough. She didn't hospitalize him, nor did this psychiatrist. Now, granted, this was, I'll, I'll give the psychiatrist a little leeway because this was 1966 and this was actually the first time that there had ever been a mass shooting of this type still when you have a person who is telling you all of this and he saw him for two two hours 
and then didn't see him again. And it isn't really clear whether he didn't see him again because the psychiatrist wasn't helpful or the psychiatrist told him he didn't need to come back or what. But um, it was certainly a failure of the mental health system. Now, again, what we need to be doing about all this is um, to be, you need to, to um, contact your congressman to contact authorities to do, write stuff on on the internet to do what you can to get the message across that guns don't belong in school and to oppose campus carry laws um let me just read we've now come to the ask the terrorist therapist part of the show where i answer your emails and questions so there's an email this time from bobby bobby wrote i just heard about the new laws permitting concealed weapons on campus. My son is going to start college at one of these schools. He wants me to buy him a gun to take to school, but I'm against it. I don't want him to get hurt or end up killing somebody. What should I do? Well, Bobby, I think you should stick to your guns, pun intended, and uh, go to... Um, Speak to him and um, tell him why you don't want him to carry a gun, why it's dangerous, and tell him to go to, you know, there. as I was saying before, the, the um, polls, the um, uh, tests that there have been uh, show that most professors and most students also don't want guns on campus. Um, it was the law, gun lobby that got have gotten these states to enact these laws. You know, again, I am not against, I, I am so for so much of what they say in terms of um, keeping our Second Amendment, but that's going too far. Bringing guns to school is going too far. So tell your son there must be some kind of club or organization, formal or informal, on his college campus where these professors and students are getting together to protest uh, the idea of having guns on campus. So if he joins that group, uh, he will feel as though he is doing something positive to try to prevent this or change this back so that everybody is safer. And if they are not making headway quickly enough, if this group doesn't seem to be getting anywhere quickly enough in this protest, then I suggest that he transferred to a college where there are there are these gun laws, where a, a college in a state that has not as yet enacted these laws where so that people cannot carry guns on college campuses. Well, I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thanks for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. It's one thing to not allow our Second Amendment rights to be taken away, and it's another thing to encourage students to carry guns to school. It's bad enough that we need security guards to carry guns to school, but this responsibility should not be put on the students. And the University of Texas should be ashamed of themselves for using this date, August 1st, to, at the same time that they're commemorating the memory of the people who died in the first mass shooting on their campus to also be enacting the laws to allow students today 
to carry guns on the campus. Now, the students at the University of Texas and all the rest of us are smart enough to know that that's hypocrisy and a tragic irony.